You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am honored to have a very special guest join me uh, on this edition of the podcast to help wrap up the the 2021 ECU football season. He is the director of athletics, John Gilbert. John, welcome into the uh, the show. Thanks for having me, John. A lot to discuss. Uh, we'll, we'll jump right into it. But first off, just you look back at this football season. I think we all kind of envisioned when Coach Houston took over the program that he would eventually get this thing turned around. It was just kind of a matter of how long it would take for everything to to take hold. And I think we all kind of saw it this year: seven and five, going to a bowl game. Just when you look back at this season, what, what kind of are your thoughts coming out of it? Well, I, it, it was a meaningful season, it, you know, particularly when you go back to the beginning. You know, what an electric atmosphere in Charlotte to open the season. You don't win the game. You come home to Dowdy Ficklin versus an SEC opponent. You know, you don't win the game at the last minute, and you're, you know, you're going on the road to a really tough Marshall team. And – you know, we're, we're all human. You begin to question yourself and, you know, worried you're going to start 0-3 uh, and then you go into the fourth quarter and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, is this really happening? And so I'm just thrilled for our players and our staff uh, and, and really all of Pirate Nation. When you come from that to what the ending was like where you win – you know, last second at Memphis, and you win last second at Navy. Uh, you know, those are really special moments, and to get bowl eligible is really meaningful because we're taking the next step. And I don't want to apply imply that we are back or we've arrived or anything like that. We've got a lot of work to do, and. Uh, my expectations of the program. I know Coach Houston's expectations are much higher than seven and five, but I do feel like it is a meaningful next step, given the the recent uh, you know history of losing se- seasons. So that's very positive. This you know this turnaround didn't happen overnight. Some people nationally might be taking notice of the success Coach Houston's having now after you know six straight losing seasons coming into this year, but. You know, there were some tough times, I'm sure, the first couple of years of you and Coach Houston's tenure here. Uh, take us behind the scenes. What were those conversations like? And Because he's got to lean on you, you probably have to lean on him in some regard during those tough times and, and kind of believe in each other. Well, well I think you, you understand, you know, when you come in that it's, you know, it's in a rebuild mode. Uh, but once you get into games, you're, you're, we're all competitors. So even though you know it's a rebuilding you know, process, you, you do get disappointed when you're not, you know, on the winning side. But I think his staff has done a really good job of recruiting and identifying talent. Uh, but, you know, in those tough days, you know, you're constantly reminding him of how much you believe in him. You know, he's got a track record of success and, and just making sure that you're staying positive, knowing that, you know, you know it's a slow climb out of the valley. Seven and five is the most successful season ECU's had in football since 2014, seven years. You know, this is the third year of Coach Houston's tenure at ECU. He was signed to a five-year contract. You know, at this point, what can you say about you guys' commitment to him and his staff in terms of trying to keep him here for the long haul? 
Well, I, I think certainly if you look at what they've done over the last couple of years, being the lowest paid uh, staff and, and the lowest paid coach in the league, you know, our financial issues are well documented. Uh, we're not going to revisit those at this time unless you ask specifically about that. But it's, you know, we've got to continually uh, invest in football. Uh, so, you know, I want Coach Houston to be the head coach at East Carolina for a very long time. You know, I've been talking to him uh, and his agent about what, what an extension would look like. Uh, we're still in those discussions, you know, getting on a final resting spot. But I feel really good about, you know, where we're at. We do need to invest. He's earned it. Uh, and, and we're going to make that investment. There's some reports out there over the last 24 hours that, that he could be a candidate for, for the Duke opening, Virginia Tech opening. You know, How confident are you that, that Coach Houston will be the, the East Carolina coach next year? Well, uh, you know, I'm very confident now. I've been a part of a lot of coaching searches, and they can take a lot of wild turns uh, along the way. I'm not surprised that his name uh, is mentioned in searches. He's a very good coach. I think people realize – you know that what he's done here, turning uh, the program around. So I'm not surprised in that regard. Uh, but I also know Mike really wants to be here. I think he uh, and his family really like it here in Greenville and Eastern North Carolina. Uh, so I'm anticipating we'll be able to announce something here shortly. When you look at the you know the finances, not to get into the, the struggles for for ECU athletics or the ECU as a whole in that regard. But you know, what's a realistic goal for for ECU you mentioned you know and pulling some of the the assistant numbers you know they're not comparable maybe to the top half of the league what's a realistic goal for ECU in terms of being competitive in this league because you have to be realistic but you also have to make that investment well I I think it's important you know not to be on the bottom for for number one and I think they've clearly proven uh, you you know they kind of out punch their weight uh, this year, and and so I think we'll make a significant investment in football to to get them up. Uh, I think it will, you know, you don't go from the bottom to the top, uh, you know, overnight. It takes time, and and really, we've got to have everybody involved. I I hear it all the time. Hey, you got to give more money to this coach, or you got to give this coach more money. Lock them up. Do whatever. Well, that takes money, and. That means people buying tickets, uh, you know, to, to our sporting events. It means joining the Pirate Club, all those things. It, it really takes everyone to build the program that you want to have. And, and so I'm hopeful that, you know, once we get this finalized, we're going to see a financial bump from our fan base as it relates to season tickets. You know, we were at 13-5 this year. We've got NC State at home next year. Uh, seven game schedule we should be 15,000 or more in season tickets Uh, there should be no excuses Um, you know we need everyone's help uh, to to help fund and drive the type of program we all want I think Pirate fans have said for the last handful of years hey give us a good product and we'll show up well now the product is pretty darn good and, you know, I think next year's schedule is an attractive one. I think they open with three straight home games. You open with NC State. I mean, there's there should be a lot of build into that, that home opener. So from you guys' perspective, 
and I'm sure y'all are in the early stages, but I mean, I would assume the season ticket sales of next year is going to be emphasis number one to trying to get that number up because it's hard to sell 30,000 single game tickets to get to 40,000 or whatever. So how big is that number going into next year? Well, it it really is big. I I do think 15,000 is the goal. Uh, the first year I was, you know, when I took the job, they were coming off a year where they were 12,500 in season tickets. The first year of Coach Houston, it was 14,000. We had a COVID year, no tickets. And then this past year, we were at 13,500, which I think was a lot to do with COVID still uh, and just people concerned about getting in big crowds. I do think with the seven games in NC State, 15,000 is attainable. And, and we all talk about or I hear about we've got to get back to having 50,000 50, in Dowdy Ficklin. Well, the reality is if you only sell 13,000 uh, 13, season tickets, it takes a lot of single-game tickets to get to 50,000. So I'm hopeful that you know with the success of this season we'll – We'll see the bounce on football season tickets. With with the facilities, uh, you know I have to ask about the North Price yeah. facility, um, and I've, I've got a couple other questions from the fans uh, that I'll throw at you later. But is there any progress being made on that in terms of you know looking at renderings or maybe announcing a campaign for that? Well, we've talked to an architect about, um, you know, drafting some plans and looking at an indoor practice facility. It really would be something that all of our outdoor sports would use. Uh, it, it would not be strictly a football indoor practice facility. So baseball, softball, soccer, track, you know, all our outdoor sports would have access to it. It is something we need. Uh, there are a lot of schools that, that have them. Uh, that are not the type of programs that are like East Carolina. Uh, some of the schools coming, the new schools coming into the league have them already. And so I do think it's warranted. Again, we're going to have to fundraise for that. Uh, you're talking about, you know, 16 to $20 million. Uh, we're we're going to need, you know, some, some donor support to help fund that. Um, and, and again, I, I do believe it's warranted in the next step of, of what we need for the football program. When you go around and talk to some of the donors uh, f- for this program, do you get the sense they're willing to commit to that type of project if you guys really get behind it? Well, I, I think when you look at a project of that magnitude, and I'm just going to use 16 as the number, the, the first 10 to 12, I don't want to say it's easy to raise, um, but you, you can – you can get some momentum early on. It's that last third that is really important uh, to, to get. And again, we need everybody to, to, to play a part in that. And, and I go back to some things that I said earlier. You know, if, if what you can do financially is buy a ticket, we need you to buy a ticket. If you can join the Pirate Club, we need you to do that as well. And if you can put your name on a building, we need those types of individuals as well. It really does take a village to get this underway. ECU football heading to the military bowl again, the first bowl game in seven years. Uh, there were some questions as to. I think you guys may have been the first to accept the invite nationally. So, why so quickly did the military bowl want ECU, and then why did ECU feel comfortable accepting that invitation? Well. well 
first, I think it's a really good bowl for us to match up against an ACC opponent. Uh, I think our fan base will like that. That's very much a positive. If you look at the bowl pecking order for the AAC, so the, the first pick went to the group of ESPN bowls. The second pick in the AAC is the military bowl. So we, we are the second pick. Um, as we started these discussions about the bowl game, it, it became apparent that the military was not going to let us slide past the second pick. And so through those discussions, you know, I said, is there a possibility, if, 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 is there a chance ESPN will take us in the first pick? You know, and they own bowls from, you know, Fen- Fenway all the way down to Texas. And they felt like they were going to take another team uh, with their first pick. And so the military communicated loud and clear they were not letting the Pirates go past the second slot. And so I thought it was important for us to jump out there, you know, a week in advance to sell tickets for people to make plans, um, you know, get hotel rooms, like just all the things that, you know, you're trying to decide what you're going to do for Christmas or after Christmas. Uh, now, now we know. So I felt like it was important to get that message out, given it was the second pick. So we were clearly wanted and desired, you know, but by the military bowl, which is again a positive for the Pirates. Saw Coach Houston tweet out last night: uh, already a thousand, over a thousand tickets sold for the game. What is you guys's? allotment number and then you know if you guys match or meet that can you get more tickets from the military bowl well we really don't have a number we're going to sell as many as we can sell uh one of the fortunate things with the way the bowl structure is the the first uh in ticket sales we actually get to retain and so that certainly will help fund the trip and the bowl experience and all those things so we've got great tickets we need our fan base to buy the tickets through the the Pirates. Um, we're off to a really good start. You know, I got an update a little bit ago that we had you know gone over a hundred thousand in ticket sales. So they're going briskly. Uh, next Sunday, December fifth, we'll know who our opponent is. You know, I expect that will will help drive some sales as well. From talking or just reading uh, the Hoist of Colors board, it sounds like I think the ECU fan hotel might be already sold out. So they're already buying out the uh, ECU fans are already buying out the ACC site. So the ACC team might have a uh, might have some trouble finding uh, a place to stay down there. Well, I think uh, you know pirates do travel and they like to have a good time, so that they may have to get a uh, an alternate hotel as well. Uh, John, we got some questions, so I put it out on Twitter uh, for fans to ask questions. And you, you did an awesome job at Houston earlier this year, coming uh, coming over and answering questions on the message board, which I thought was really cool uh, during the the unfortunate weather delay. Yes. So, uh, but I'm going to read some of these that I got off Twitter um, for you to uh, potentially answer. And we'll start with some guy named Ryan Robinson. <laughs> He wants to know, can you ask him if he could get Ryan Robinson to go on a juice cleanse before the bowl? Looks like he needs to tighten up. You, you know, R- Ryan does a really good job of working out. Uh, he goes to Young's as well and gets a sweat on. We, we've got to improve his diet. I think there might be a sponsorship opportunity out there with, like, 
Clean Eats or uh, Smoothie King. Uh, I, you know, I think maybe uh, Hoist the Colors ought to do like a little reality series where you sell the sponsorship and we track uh, we track Ryan's uh, progress. That would be entertaining, that's for sure. We can make something happen. Uh, speaking of Ryan, just how has he done in, in his new role as Pirate Club director uh, and getting that thing, you know, we talk about needing everybody to raise money. Obviously, yeah. the Pirate Club is in front and center in that. How has he transitioned to that role? Well, he, he's done a remarkable job. We've worked together for a long time. Um, you know, I've got a lot of trust in him. He, he uh, has hit the ground running. He's established a lot of really good relationships. You know, biggest asset, you know, he's such a real a, a good communicator. Uh, and he covers all of our external side. Then, obviously, we've got, you know, longtime pirate J.J. McClam on the, on the internal side. So I feel really good about both our external and internal operations and, and where they are with those two guys. Uh, a couple of fans wanted to discuss uh, from the last home game the concessions. I know some fans have said there had been a long wait. I know that you know you guys had that issue at the South Carolina game, maybe corrected it, and it seemed to to kind of come back up for the Cincinnati game, um, and also the sound system and the scoreboard. I know that's been something you guys have talked about as well. Yeah. So uh, concessions again, we ran into issues with personnel the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, getting people, you know, hey, I'm coming, I'll be there to work, and then all of a sudden they're not there. It just puts a lot of stress on the system. It's not acceptable. I don't like it. It bothers me. Um, You know, we're going to have to figure out some alternatives if, if this continues because it's not good for anyone. As it relates to the scoreboard, you know, that project is very high on my list for next year. We really have held our breath on the scoreboard this year. It's actually an older model that you cannot get parts for. And so it, when I say it has lived a full life, uh, the scoreboard has lived a full life. And so uh, we're going to be looking to replace that. Uh, no, no announcement yet on a timeline. We haven't finalized that. But it, it's certainly uh, high on my list to get that done before next season. That's another thing that I assume is going to cost a decent amount of money. Any idea how much that will will cost to get that fixed? You know, just for football, you're probably looking at a $2 million expenditure. Um, So, you know, when you're in Division I football and in a league like the American, the cost of doing business is high. So so it is expensive, uh, but... It, it's uh, it's an amenity that you have to have. It's you know a non-negotiable item. So we'll we'll make sure by next season that you know there's a scoreboard in place that uh, functions at a high level and we can get parts for. Uh, future scheduling is always a big. I mean, I think every time I have a uh, like some sort of live chat on Hoisted Colors, they always ask me about future scheduling. So I'm yeah. going to ask you about future scheduling this time. Uh, specifically, with Charlotte coming into the league, you guys have a home-and-home home with them in the years to come. Um, is there any early inclination on replacing them, or is it too early to say? Well, the, the first year that they we had them scheduled, and they'll come off and go into the conference rotation – uh, we did not have an FCS team that year, so we'll add in an FCS opponent. Uh, I believe that's 24. Don't hold me to that. I don't have it right in front of me. And then, you know, we'll, we'll want to replace them 
you know, with, with uh, probably a group of five type school, home and home, would, would like to do that in a, you know, regional basis, you know, a game that makes sense. Um, but, but no update other than that, that we will be looking, we'll look to add the FCS. And then I, after we add the FCS, I don't think we need another game for quite a few years. We talked about um, Virginia Tech and Duke earlier. So a fan actually asked, are there any chances of resuming a series with Virginia Tech? We all know the, the fallout. It was shortly, I believe, right after you took the job where they canceled yeah. the series. Yeah. And there's a chance uh, ECU could see them in the bowl game. Uh, but any any idea if that could be resumed? And, and had there ever been any talks with Duke about scheduling them in football? You know, we, we talk uh, to a lot of schools uh, regionally about home and home games. It is very very difficult to get them to agree to come to Greenville. And so, um, again, we don't have another opening for a game like that to like 2028 or 29. Uh, we'll continue like. My preference is I'd love to not leave the state of North Carolina and doing those home-and-home games. It's easier said than done because a lot of times they don't want to come play us. And so we're, we're having to, to fight that. We're going to continue to ask and, uh, you know, try to put those matchups that our fans care about. And then with Virginia Tech, has there been any talks at all since that cancellation of the series? No, no formal discussions with Tech. And I don't think that they need a game for a while. And, and like, if you look at their future schedule, when they when they dropped us, they did a long home and home with Old Dominion. And so you look at, you know, they're trying to get into the Tidewater area. Uh, they're probably being a little more strategic. I'd love to play a series like that, but it's got to be, you know, mutually agreed upon, a, uh, you know, type game. We discussed the, the military bowl earlier. Um, we, we, you guys don't really have a ticket number, but in your opinion, what do you think would be a you know a good turnout for ECU in terms of number of fans on, on that date? Well, I think if we could sell north of 5,000 tickets to, to a bowl game, I think that would be a, a really positive number for us. I think it largely will depend on the opponent. Um, I, I looked at our most recent history, you know, I, I think to uh, you probably know this better than I do. Not the Birmingham Bowl, but there was a bowl before that for us. Before Brady's, but maybe I think Florida. we sold like eight thousand tickets to that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think if we go north of five, I'll be pleased with where that number is. And then somebody had also asked about the military bowl revenue, and uh, I could be wrong on this, but doesn't all the revenue from the bowls go into a, a pot for the American and then is redistributed? So the the way it works uh, to to play in the bowl game, we'll get a six hundred thousand dollar supplement from the conference office, uh, and then we get to keep the first two fifty in ticket sales. So if we only sell a hundred thousand worth of tickets. We only get to keep a hundred, and that's why it's so important for our fan base to make sure that they buy from us because that is actually additional revenue. Anything we generate over two hundred and fifty goes back to the bowl. Gotcha. Um, and we've talked a lot in the past about Town Bank Tower, and that is something that the university or the athletic department is still 
uh, paying off. Uh, somebody wants to know what percentage of the annual athletic budget is still tied up in that renovation. Is that something that you guys still have to budget for every year? Well, the 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 bond note on the tower is around. I think it's three million a year. Is is the bond note? So we need to pay three million a year. Uh, we are sold out in suites. Um, loges loge uh, boxes and then you know again I'm ballparking the number here we have 530 club seats uh, we've probably sold you know 515 of them so we've got a little bit of inventory in our club seats uh, we need to continue to, to drive that revenue again for us it all goes back to that season ticket number you know that's our financial base the more season tickets we can sell, the better off we're going to be financially. I don't know how much you want to get into this, but the, the previous administration, they when they drew up the tower, it was meant to be a revenue generator. Uh, at this point, is there any way for ECU to, to make money off the tower, or are you guys just paying off too much debt to, for that to happen? Well, the, the, there's a lot to unpack in that question. Um, I, I think the biggest thing we can do is continue to win football games, sell as many tickets in the tower, and, and really I go back to the inventory that we have to sell in the tower is really the club seats, and we're talking about probably 20 seats or less. So the tower by and large is full. When they did the pro forma, they also included field suites uh, and some philanthropic gifts. So, for example, if we built a, you know, something new, uh, a new weight room, and we put a name on it, and that naming opportunity was half a million dollars, then that money would be going to help pay off the debt on the tower. So there's a lot of philanthropic dollars left that we can generate. Obviously, that's hard, a harder sell. Uh, and then we looked at the field suites and felt like from an inventory standpoint, we just were going to rob Peter to pay Paul. We've got a lot of premium inventory. We didn't need to add field suites at this time based on where we were. Um, and, and again, the season t- ticket number plays a big factor in you know, generating revenue. We talked a lot about uh, facilities thus far. I, I guess it kind of gets overlooked, but you guys are planning on doing another weight room over by the Olympic Sports Complex, and that was, uh, I believe, via Grady White Boats. Um, how is that project coming along, and do you see that, or do you have a date for when that will be done? Well, the, the project, we, we are ready to start. We've been ready to start back in the summer. It was approved by the board. Uh, we hired a contractor we're ready to go. We can't get steel right now. So the, the last update I had was we might be able to get steel by this summer. So we're essentially in a holding pattern uh, on that project. Once it's done, um, it, it'll be a six to 7,000 square foot supplemental weight room that'll kind of be over near where all our Olympic sports are. Obviously you have the uh, indoor practice facility uh, we've got a swimming locker room project uh, that we're, we're getting pretty close on. Um, you know, we're going to need to constantly, you know, look at upgrading things and refreshing. You know, we'll get in a campaign here pretty soon where, you know, people can invest in, in all of these projects. And uh, somebody had asked what 
what was next beyond the indoor practice and you may have just hit on it there but do you have any long-term goals whether it be five ten years from now things that you really want to see if you know if football keeps winning if revenue continues to, to generate and you guys get in a good financial position that you would like to continue to upgrade well well there's a lot um <laughs> Let's break out your list. Yeah, it, it, it uh, but it really takes money. Right. So, so you got the weight room. That's uh, that'll be a two and a half million dollar project. Uh, you've got the uh, indoor practice facility. Let's call that sixteen to twenty million. Uh, we've got the swimming pool uh, renovation. That that's going to be north of a million dollars. Uh, you have the baseball locker room renovation uh, and anything we do to, to upgrade baseball, let's call that two to three million. Um, you, you know, we, we've got some other uh, Olympic sport, you know, needs, you know, different things from a funding model. So it'll, you know, Pirate Nation will get all they want from a donation standpoint. Uh, and, and that's coming soon. We're, you know, we're not ready to launch that today, uh, but that project and, you, you know, we really need to do what I would call more some excellent excellence funds for our sports programs because of where our sports programs are budgeted in our league. I do want to create some funds where people can, you know, donate and it could go right to the lacrosse team to help you know, the lacrosse team budget or the soccer team or the golf team. Uh, all those things uh, are really important from that from that aspect. So th- there'll be a lot of uh, fundraising and projects and, you know, an opportunity for really everyone to participate. Um, and that is kind of a nice transition to this next question. Somebody had asked if, if there's ever been any discussion between uh, the ECU Athletics family, since you got here, and Vince McMahon, who we know is an ECU alum, uh, has deep pockets, could potentially help with something like uh, what you guys are looking for. Has there ever been any discussion or outreach to, uh, to McMahon? That, you know, I'm told that I believe uh, Vince's wife was on the Board of Trustees or the Pirate Club Board uh, years ago, uh, but there is, um, there's not much contact with, with them. Um, you know, I know every now and again he mentions the Pirates, but uh, we would love to have them uh, involved. Uh, we, we just not, have not had a high level of success of, you know, making a firm connection in that regard. Maybe one day when he fully retires uh, from uh, from running WWE, he'll, Man, uh, it, he'll what, reach out. What a, what an enterprise he's built. Like if um, – I, I think that would be really neat, and you know we need somebody like Vince McMahon to, to to be a part of it. I mean, he could help us in a very meaningful way, and I don't mean just financially. Like, you, you know, his influence and his uh, Rolodex, he he could help you know position the Pirates uh, in a meaningful way. Uh, there's, I believe, a something passed recently that has student athlete tuition uh, going in state. Uh, in terms of, you know, even if out of state student athletes come to ECU, it's it's counted as in state tuition. So, I assume that helps you guys quite a bit on the bottom line number as far as scholarships. It it will. It'll help uh, soften whatever the load is uh, from the pirate club uh, back to campus. 
if you look at the roster, it, it will fluctuate depending on what, what the roster looks like. What I mean by that is if, if we had all in-state student-athletes that were on scholarship, not realistic for that to ever happen, but let's say it does, then, then the, the benefit to us is zero. So the more out-of-state student-athletes we have, the more benefit we get. Right now, if you, you know, penciled out our out-of-state students right now, it'd probably save us a million and a half a year in, in scholarship dollars, uh, which is a significant number. Uh, somebody had asked, are there any in uh, any non-athletic events planned for Dowdy Ficklin Stadium or Menji's Coliseum? None that we're ready to announce at this time, but we are always looking at ways to generate additional revenue. You know, I'd love to have a big concert in the stadium. Uh, it really, you know, you take on a lot of risk when you do that, so it's got to be an act that would would sell um, you know, we continue to talk through those to, to see if that's a possibility. But we're open to, you know, non-traditional uh, events in our venues. Uh, and then for next year, is that going to be a seat selection year for the stadium, or is that 2023? Do you know that off the top no, of your head? I, uh, not next year. Seat, okay. no. I, I, I would rather not go through those very often. Uh, they, they are uh, – you know, stressful for, for everyone involved. So I, I think we're another year or two out from that. And there's been a number of teams. This is more my curiosity, um, more so than fans. But there's been a lot of teams across the country that have gone to turf fields to help with, uh, you know, the budget. And it is less expensive long term. You know, ECU's always had natural grass for football. Do you ever see a, a scenario where ECU goes to turf for football? I, you know, it, it's one of those things I haven't put a lot of thought right. into. Uh, there are a lot of advantages to playing on a turf field at, at home, and, and it's largely financial in, in this regard. Dowdy Ficklin might be, uh, other than like a Bro the Brody Medical School, let's take that off the plate, other than maybe Brody Medical, Dowdy Ficklin is the most expensive uh, venue and it might be more than than Brody, uh, the most expensive building on this campus, and we use it six or seven times a year, not not very much, and, and so if you do turf it, uh, you're able to do a lot of things on it. It already has lights. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to do it. Uh, you could have teams practice on it, um, so. From a practicality standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, you know, we just resodded last year. We're, we're not in danger of, of uh, turfing it anytime soon, but, but there are a lot of advantages to it. It's not, I don't want everybody to, you know, run out with their fire in their hair. We're not, we're not turfing Dowdy Ficklin. But could we one day? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say never on, on that. Yeah, several schools in the region have done it. I prefer natural grass because there's nothing like playing football on natural grass. But I, I get it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense in theory. I mean, well, well, our turf people do yeah. do such a great job. I mean, it looks really good. It plays really well. Um, I, I like I like natural grass as well. Uh, we can grow grass here really well. We're in a climate, you know, that that allows us to do it. 
Um, but I also know there are some advantages, uh, you know, if you ever went down the turf route. And then I got several questions. Lastly, uh, to kind of wrap up the fan portion of things about, you know, what can you guys as administration do to ensure uh, Mike Houston and his staff remain at ECU, even with even with other ventures out there? Obviously, if you have a successful program in any sport, we've seen it with Cliff Goblin, there's going to be interest. There's going to be interest in Mike Houston as long as he's winning here. So what can you guys do to, uh, to appease him and keep him in Greenville as long as possible? Well, you know, I'm – I'm as happy today as I am the day I hired him. So I, I want Mike Houston to, to be the head coach here for a very long time. You, you know, we're in the midst of discussing what that extension looks like. Um, you know, what, once we finalize that, hopefully we'll be able to announcement uh, here here shortly. Uh, we're, we're going to help fund football the right way. We're going to invest in it again. We can't do it all on our own. We need people to help support the program to, to help with that. Uh, but it, it's time that we make a, a you know further our commitment to, to help the football program. Well, John, that's all the questions I have. Any last message to the Pirate Nation other than obviously uh, continue to give to the Pirate Club and, and now that there is a, a successful football product as we overlook Daddy Ficklin Stadium from your office, I, I think it is, you know, I think that it's time for the fans to show up, especially going forward. I think they've longed for this, and I think it is time for them to come back. Well, I, I'm just happy for them. You, you know, when you go as long as we've gone without a winning season, to, to finally have one, uh, you know, they played a part in that. Like, it, it's, uh, you know, our coaches and our players don't do it all by themselves. I mean, it really does take everyone. So I'm very thankful for our fan base for, for what they do. And, and want them to continue to do it, support us, and uh, you know, be with us on this journey as we keep climbing to where we want to be. He is John Gilbert, the Athletics Director at East Carolina University. I'm Stephen Igo. This has been the Hoisty Colors Podcast.